Welcome to Patch Notes, the first episode of a new uh, series on no cartridge audio. Uh, it's part of the main podcast, but it's sort of like a, a secondary little hit for you. I'm, we're going to be covering uh, news and views of the current moment in this podcast uh, with the same no cartridge feel that you all love um, or tolerate. Uh, obviously, I'm Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter. I will be here. And along with me will be my good friend, uh, an angry bird uh, um <laughs> You know, a connoisseur, uh, and not the game, but the actual furious bird th- themselves, uh, Jonathan Bernhard. John, welcome. Hi, Trev. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I will attempt to keep the anger at a minimum. Um, <laughs> I am John Bernhard, all one word on Twitter. Um, don't get confused. Uh, the, the when Jonathan's became problematic. Um, <laughs> You changed your name to Nathan Bernhard, yeah, and it sort of stuck. Yeah, <laughs> that was people uh, keep calling you Nathan. Yeah, well, I, I answered to it. I answered to it in college as well. Um, it started, uh, I think it was literally uh, back around Ferguson. Jonathan okay. Shade had to take those so bad on Ferguson that uh, I changed the name to Nathan, and uh, he hasn't had a good take since, so I haven't changed it back. I mean, did he have good takes before that? Was no, nah, he... but yeah, you know, joke wasn't happening then yet. <laughs> I thought. See, I always thought it was a Franzen thing. I always thought it was a Franzen, and the Franzen um, was part of it. Um, I mean, there was a there was a there was a triad, a triune of bad Jonathans. It was Chait, it was Franzen, and it was Saffron Foer. Because this was yeah, around that was the, the time that um, Saffron Foer's utterly bizarre and demented uh, Natalie courtship, Portman essay, yeah, courtship of Natalie Portman, uh, came into the mainstream. Um, and to be fair to Saffron Foer, she acted bizarrely in that as well. So they were being bizarre together. <laughs> There's truly no need to be fair to Saffron Foer, but I admire you for trying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a rough name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the 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 complexity of your name, but I think you're one of the good Jonathans. Yeah, it was funny because I was like, well, I can't think of any bad name. Oh, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not good. Yeah. Um, Let's see, there's probably some other bad Nathans, right? Yeah, there Nathan. Are. I mean, uh, the worst one that ever, the only ever comes to mind is like Nate Silver. I'm fine sharing a name with Nate Silver. He's not I mean, the worst guy in the world. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's fine. fine. Whatever. I thought he was in the right in his recent arguments with a uh, Nick Talib, um, but I think Nicholas Talib's a oh the the uh, the the time the guy who's like the time cube of race science. Yes. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, and he kept asking uh, Silver to. Um, to debate him. I and saw those tweets. He kept calling him like bullshit Nate, like it was a Trump name. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but then Nate, Nate, uh, Nate, <laughs> Nate Silver said he would, uh, he would debate him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Talib said, uh, no, no, uh, you're just, you'll just say ridiculous things and I don't, I don't have time for this. Yeah, that's and true. then, then, because uh, he's been asking Nate Silver to, uh, to debate him forever. <laughs> and then uh, in response, Silver called him a cuck. And, uh, uh, okay. He had nothing to say. <laughs> I mean, that, Nate, I mean, I guess. If, if Nate Silver's breaking out cuck, maybe maybe the meme moment has passed. It's possible, yeah. I mean, maybe we should maybe we should stop calling all of our political enemies cucks. I, oh, I, I know mean, we that, started that, that on the alt right, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that that isn't something our quote unquote side really uses to begin with. So it's not really something our quote unquote side can really lose to Nate Silver. Yeah, I mean, our quote unquote side is not. Uh, I know we try very hard to do the, like, the edgy sort of, like, edgelord things that Republicans do because we see it as a tactical move, but, uh, honestly, I don't, I don't see it as a particularly useful 
uh, word to co-opt. No. Nope. Anyway, I don't want to get too down into politics because that is, well, it's not really the focus of the other show, so it's okay if we do. But uh, maybe we should, uh, do you want to get to the news? Yeah, let's start with, uh, now, you, as you know, PAX was uh, last weekend, it was. I believe. Uh, so there hasn't been much news since PAX. Um, now, since you know all the all the big news was then, uh, but of the of the big stories swirling around that weekend, I think we can pretty much agree the biggest one that wasn't an announcement or a reveal was uh, Jason Schreier's Jason Schreier's um, exhaustive uh, report for Kotaku about Bioware's Anthem. Yeah, and I was told by by Bioware that that was actually. Uh, just completely untrue. Yeah, you were told that like uh, 15 minutes after the um, after the piece went live on Kotaku's site because uh, he contacted them for comment, and instead of giving him comment, they decided to you know write a PR blog post up <laughs> to immediately deploy when it went live. But since they hadn't actually read the piece because they didn't want to comment, um, they didn't actually have anything to really to say, and they thought it was going to be more of a smear job on two or three employees than it actually was, and I think they anticipated it to be about 2,500 words not long and not like 11,000 words long. Yeah, Citing I like Trier's 24 comment. or so um, anonymous sources. Truly incredible. I mean, Schreier's comment on it when someone was like, Jason, is this really 11,000 words long? And he was like, I had a bad weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's very relatable. I mean, hey, um, got him in the New York Times writing an op-ed. Uh, oh, really? In, yeah, I saw he wrote something about uh, games unionizing, I believe. Oh, all right. Good for him. Um, I'm not always a big... I mean, I like Schreier, okay? I'm not always super big on his writing. He's a little bit... Um, I don't know. He's a little bit rote for me in some ways. Uh, he's maybe, a great maybe. reporter. He's a really wonderful reporter. Um, and I mean... There oh, is... sorry. That was an old an old uh, op-ed from 2017. Um, no, no, no. Oh. He, he, had, he did one in 2017, and then he did another one five days ago that were oh, basically, nice. nothing's changed. <laughs> the, old, the, the one in 2017 was called Video Games Are Destroying the People Who Make Them. The one five days ago was called Making Video Games Is Not a Dream Job. Oh, well, um, both true. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he does stuff like this, I can't help but really, really appreciate him as a, as a reporter. He really does good stuff. Um, but so what did... Uh, so, let yeah, let's, let's, first. Well, yeah. Uh, well, first let's run down what oh, what sure. comes yeah. out in the in That's the what we do so in news shows. It's... Jonathan's here because in many ways, uh, <laughs> well, in many ways, I don't want to do this show by myself and he's my friend. Uh, but the other reason he's here is he knows how to do news better than I do <laughs> as, a, as a notable reporter uh, oh, for, I for many. I would say that. Um, oh, well, you're, you're verified as a reporter. Uh, yeah, I, I do have a blue check mark. But no, so... Uh, Schreier's piece is very long. It's comprehensive. And without going too deep into the woods, what it describes is a studio that was given roughly four to five years to put together the project that would become Anthem, spent three years more or less in pre-production doing making very little to no progress. Not that they were doing nothing, but that they were constantly spinning their wheels reconfiguring, people were leaving the team, coming onto the team, um, and they didn't have a product. Um, and so around, I believe it was uh, Christmas 2016, they have to actually put out a demo. And the demo underwent some blowback and some change, mm -hmm. and then eventually it went into production because the baleful eye of EA had turned upon this project, <laughs> and it had to be done by first quarter 2019. 
Um, okay. And so it ramped up into production. And in those last 18 months of development, a bunch of people lives of people's lives became hell. Lots of people left permanently or temporarily for one to three months to, uh, on what EA calls stress leave. They yeah, have that was that was for. dire. There, there yeah. are there there's hints in this piece. It's not the main focus of the piece. It's not the main focus of the reporting, but there are hints in this piece of the mental health superstructure that EA has in place uh, in their HR department that basically seems tuned to the employee mental health professionals there. And it seems like they're basically tuned to help the business side managers push their employees as hard as possible and as far as possible, just without breaking them. And yeah, most of the, the times they break them anyway. The language they use where it's like, oh, we're giving you, we're giving you this mental health break and stuff. It is, it is really, this word gets thrown out a lot. And I, I don't mean to, to throw it around uh, willy nilly, but like, it's deeply neoliberal. Like, the, yeah. the, the, the idea that, like, oh, we're just, like, we're a woke company because we, we, hire, we, we, care, we talk about mental health. And the, the question isn't, like, oh, you know, is, uh, are, you, do you, are you doing anything about mental health? It's, no, 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 we talk about it, though. Yeah. And here's a quote from it. This is, this is the one that was really telling to me. Uh, this is from uh, about a third of the way through the piece. EA had these team health reports, said one anonymous source. Anthem's morale was among the highest in all of EA. This is, <laughs> this is in 2015 as Anthem launches. Okay, cool. It was really, really good for quite a while. Everybody saw there was so much potential. And, and it goes into how much the potential the project had. And this is used, this mention of these team health reports is used as, you know, just supplemental evidence of how good things were going at the time for Anthem. Okay. We don't really see anything else in this piece about it. No one steps back, and it's not Schreier's job right now in this piece to step back and treat it. The idea of team mental health reports, you have to, not only do you have team mental health reports, but how are they being used? Who are they being given to? Right. What, how are they being prioritized? Is a team having high morale like Anthem merely seen as a good thing? Or is it seen as a sign that, that you know, the management side can press? That, you know, we're at, a, we're at a point where we can press this project. Because they did start pressing this project quite soon. And yeah. this gets to my other, other thing about this that isn't a huge uh, part of this piece. And it's uh, a, a guy, uh, the CEO, or you know, I think he's just an executive. I forget what. It's Patrick. Um, Bateman? Uh, no. Just kidding. <laughs> Patrick uh, Soderlund, I believe. Okay. That's how it said. He's... Um, he was – I think he's not with – I don't think he's with the company anymore, but he was at this time. Now, Soderlund in this piece – and obviously he's a human being, but in this piece he's a character more or less. He plays a, a role in this story that's being told. Is and he he's a human like, being? He's a human being, but he's, he, he comes off like a capricious like fairy king, one of the true fae, <laughs> who sets down these iron laws of reality – and sometimes they make sense, and sometimes they don't. Like, for instance, he's the guy who decided that uh, Dice's Frostbite engine would become the engine for the entire studio. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Frostbite was made for, I believe, the Battlefront games. Uh, it, Battlefront is the EA one, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, that Battlefront was the one that got totally dinged for. The Battlefront Two, anyway, was the one that got incredibly dinged for for microtransactions, uh, to the point that, like, even sort of. Uh, like, no, there's Battlefront. There's Battlefield. 
This is um, Battlefront, the Star Wars Battlefront Two. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about the dice games, the single player shooters. Oh. Yeah, no, uh, then, then then it's not Battlefront. It's Battlefield, I believe. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, that would yeah be that's it's Battlefield Three and Battlefield Four. So this engine was developed for multiplayer shooters. Okay, it was developed in house by Dice, and it was so much of a you know a single project engine that. And this is noted in the uh, in the Schreier article that it doesn't have saving and load of loading functions natively built into it. <laughs> it doesn't have you know sick the ability to pull back to a third person camera natively built into it because it's for a first person shooter. Now, when we say a game engine, what we mean by a game engine is actually a large, huge set of suite of tools, probably about like three or four major suites, a bunch of compilers, a bunch of stuff like that. It's not like, you know, you open up the StarCraft II editor or something. You can design a game on one program or something. This is like large, complicated software. And it doesn't, it didn't really have document because it, because it had all the problems of both in, in a, a homebrew and a big box because mm. it was impenetrable. No one at BioWare or any of these other studios that weren't DICE knew how to use it at all. But there also was no great documentation. And so, you know, if, if you license an engine, usually you get a lot of documentation and a huge support staff from the yeah, people you're paying right. a lot of money to license it from. Of course. And, or if you've made it yourself, you have the pe people who made that engine on hand constantly to help you because they know the engine and they're gurus at it because they made it. But this is not the case but with this is, Frostbite. Yeah. So what you had is a situation where... As soon as, and this is also in the piece, as soon as someone would get good enough at Frostbite on Bioware's end with Anthem to know the system, they get moved over to FIFA. <laughs> because FIFA was now in Frostbite too. And FIFA's a third person game. And FIFA needs to save and load. And FIFA is a much, like much bigger money. deal yeah, than no, FIFA is huge. You know, Anthem. And even, and Anthem's, a, you know, Anthem's not a huge. Um, is isn't is no small project. It's a pretty big project for EA, um, but it's no FIFA. Nothing is nothing else is maybe Madden. Madden is sort of FIFA, but I think FIFA has its stars risen above Madden's these days. Well, it, it just as much. Yeah, I mean, for for any number of reasons. I mean, not least of all because it is absolutely a bigger sport. Soccer, um, yeah, over, worldwide, over, and the, and yeah, those yeah. markets are expanding. Anyway, so Soderlund's the guy who made it so that everyone in the company has to use this engine. Um, he's also the guy who, in 2016, like, remembered that Anthem existed because he played the demo they put out in <laughs> Christmas, and he hated it. And so he swept down on the EA, on the Bioware offices and, you know, and, you know, tore it apart, told them it needed to be different, you know, everything that, like that. And then all hands got on deck um, to make a, you know, make a new demo, make something that the bosses would like. With the problem being that now they've re-geared the entire demo project about what Patrick Soderlund wants to see. Yeah, that seems like a bad idea. And so, and they describe, and Shire describes it, uh, uh, Soderlund descending back on uh, EA on Ontario, I believe? Alberta. Yeah. Edmonton. EA, uh, Bioware's office uh, studio Be in honest, Edmonton. is Canada real? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, Doug Ford sure, sure seems to think so. Um, <laughs> so he just and he and his retinue descend on um, the Bioware offices, and he gets to play a version of the demo that looks a lot like what we'd eventually get as Anthem. And okay. he loves it. He loves that that stuff. 
Okay. Um, you can curse. And then he disappears from the story entirely, as if he'd never been there to begin what? with. <laughs> like that's that's his that's his last appearance in that's the story so of how Anthem was made. Uh, all the responsibility for the rest of the story gets devolved to individual Bioware managers. He he comes in, he makes the changes, things compose, uh, you know, change to his whim, and then he's gone. I guess to put out some more fires or see some more demos. What a horrible um, way to run a company. I mean, I'm sure there's some context in there we're missing and some other uh, executive demands in there that weren't fully conveyed um, from the top, especially as Anthem got deeper and deeper into production. And I don't want to minimize how obvious it is that Bioware themselves, the team managers, the creative leads, all those people, they really messed up. Mm -hmm. Like, they... They and and they were managers, you know, within that within that group. So they're still management, but they this this whole thing. Like, there's a there's there's this part uh, a couple times in here where they talk about how uh, bio, bio, former Bioware people were hoping that Dragon Age Inquisition would fail because hmm. if it succeeded, it only validated the insane way that they did work at Bioware. And I don't think that means that, you know, they're, they're sad that Dragon Age Inquisition was a good game. I think it means that we, w we would be having this teardown, this, this light shining on these bad practices happening a lot sooner Had if, it. It didn't, if we weren't burning ourselves out to just barely get something out the door each time around. And it right. almost happened with Andromeda, which I, I liked a lot more than a, a lot of other people did. I thought I it played really well. I remember we talked well. about this, yeah. Um, I didn't think that the... A lot of uh, uh, part of the problem with uh, Anthem is they were desperately scared of being memed again, and I thought a lot of the memes were kind of in bad faith to begin with last time around. Yeah, there the were, whole that was the thing about Anthem that really threw me off—the idea that like we are going to make a game that can't be memed. Well, that's you can't. That's not. That's like saying I don't have politics. Well, yeah, but it's also <laughs> it's like you, saying you're apolitical or something. No game's ever done that. At no. Least. Um, <laughs> That's another game I hate, but no one else seems to mind it. Uh, I won't. I won't. Uh, you're playing it right now, so I won't uh, on your toes. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, that's the Division Two. Division uh, Two, yeah. Future uh, but, episode. Yeah, but the you know like the the weird thing about not being memed is like it's not even like well you can't do that. Obviously, it is like you can't make something that is unmemeable or whatever. But like the the idea that like that would be a good thing is so weird to me. It's like we're gonna make a game that has. Um, no real personality, so no one could ever make fun of it. Yeah. Is like is a truly baffling strategy. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't make sense in its priors. Um, there's nothing easier to make fun of than someone who's trying very very hard not to be made fun of. Oh yeah, you just make fun of them for caring. Um, have none of the people uh, have none of the executives at Bioware been to high school? No, I mean, and it, it's not it's. Like I know what they what they thought they wanted. They want a, a clean, polished launch. They wanted uh, a game that was you know perfect from the world word go. Um, uh, has to be said though, the Anthem beta was a disaster. Oh, truly, um, I, I was I was in the Anthem beta. I played it. It was awful. Like and and the the funny thing was, my 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 book on Anthem has been the same this whole time, which is that if it was just the um, the flight elements and like mm -hmm. not even just the flight elements. If it was like the 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 elements that were the story mode without mm -hmm. any of the the multiplayer that was just so abysmal, it'd be fine. 
Like, it's like a decent game. It's fun. <laughs> like, flying around, doing a lot of the stuff, the movement feels great. It's just, it's not, like, it's so clearly not a game. Yeah. Like, it's so clearly, like, they came up with Flight, and that felt great. Uh, it's funny, because like, Flight apparently was, like, put out, and t- uh, taken out and put in, and taken out and put in multiple times over that death like, cycle. It's, it's the, the only, thing, the only thing that is really, like, super redeemable about that game. Everything else makes it just a generic shooter. Yeah. And then I, every everything else beyond that makes it, like, yeah. a true disaster. I mean, and the thing is, I didn't. Th- I don't think Anthem can ever come close to how disastrous Fallout 76's first totally agree. Uh, two months were. Absolutely. I mean, currently even. But Fallout 76 feels like a game that was actively sabotaged. Like, there are some stuff that, there's some stuff that happened in Fallout 76 patches, <laughs> which honestly sounded like there was a rogue developer somewhere <laughs> in, in the structure who would get told by his boss to fix a, fix a bug that had been introduced and said, all right, I'll fix that bug, and jumped back to, like, five patches ago, fixed the bug there, because that's where the bug came from, decided he'd fit, you know, he'd filled the order to the letter as asked, you know, the exact rule of law there, and then pushed a, you know, five-version-old patch onto the game, which broke all the stuff that had been fixed in the last four patches. Like, you'd see bugs go away and come back, and you'd see bug fixes um, break new things. And I mean, Fallout 76 truly was, yeah. like, it wasn't just, like, it wasn't just, oh, this is this is really unfortunate. It, I mean, it was, like, it was... It feels almost like art. Yeah, it, like, it, it, like, that's a, right. A, like, a meta art outside of the game itself. There's some kind, there's some sort of statement being made almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so... Well, like I said, it feels like a fuck you. That's what right, it feels. Yeah. Like. It feels like Fallout seventy six was supposed to be a standard Fallout, and then the people in charge at um, Bethesda got involved and wanted uh, something they could draw rents from um, more right. efficiently than a Fallout four, and they told the Fallout team to rip out the story and add in this multiplayer ish thing. Because like you, you're, th- this world is a massive Fallout world, and you're only all, ever on it with like eight people. It's not actually multiplayer but it's also the most unstable game i've ever seen like i I haven't played it because i'm not you're not a masochist well i know i just don't believe in giving them money for that product but i've sure watched a lot of it and you know you're looking at um whether we're talking about you know glitching through geometry or larger funnier bugs but you're looking at about a bug a minute yeah, it's yeah. it's surreal almost. The thing with Anthem is like you know you, the the surreality of Fallout seventy six makes it feel different, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's something that where you where you play Fallout seventy six, you're looking at it and you're like this is this is weird, like this is this is strange. I don't know what's even going on here. And every time something new comes out, it's even more strange. It's like oh, we banned the one player who likes this game. Like, <laughs> of course, yes. of course you did. Like or why? they they fixed the bug that the one bug that gave everyone on the server free experience or free food and right, it, yeah. it gave a sense of community and they took that out. Right. Let's, let's, let's remove everything. Right. Yeah. It, it all goes so, so bad. But then like with Anthem, it literally is like the one part of the game that you need to work, which is okay. These matches require matchmaking. Fine. I don't care. I can do that. I've played these kinds of games before. That's okay. It truly is uh, just the worst matchmaking and online stuff I've ever seen in a game. It is, it is, like, it is painful. It's actively painful to play. I mean, we have to move on to other news, but as a last thing, 
and this is the takeaway from every one of these stories, and we're going to keep getting these stories. We're going to get one yeah. of these from Ubisoft probably, um, at least with, you know, Watch Dogs 3 is coming apparently. There's going to be another um, Assassin's Creed. Eventually they're taking it off here. I'm but, sure they're going to do another know, Far Cry try and. You roll, you roll the dice on these massive projects long enough, eventually you'll have a beaten-down workforce coming out to talk to, you know, the Jason Shriers of the world. And about. I guess that's the other thing, right? Like, where I, I know uh, Jason got a lot of flack from, I mean, people who are not being generous, and I, mm-hmm. I think they were wrong to be uh, doing this. People were just like, oh, you know, like, you didn't, you know, like, why would you, why are you, why are you being so mean to these people? They put their heart and soul into this, and now you're you're shitting on them. And it's not that he is. He wasn't. He actually yeah. was super careful in the article, and I, I really mm-hmm. admired him for this, was super careful to say, like, listen, this isn't anyone's fault who is working on the project. Like, this is not about them. This is not, like, a an attacking these devs. I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying. This isn't a hit piece, basically. Yeah. Like he well, said. I, I mean, that stuff is always disingenuous coming from people who sure. weren't on the project, talking about a reporter, quoting people who were on the project, <laughs> who want people to know the project was fucked. But then you get you get people who are genuine and like are just naive who are saying like, "Whoa, is this true? Like, is this actually an accurate report?" Then uh, and I, I I understood that the first couple times this happened, I may have understood that when uh, Telltale went under. Right, sure. Very similar circumstances in the labor relations section. I mean, everybody sort of kept their job, uh, has kept their job for now at BioWare. I mean, they're not rolling up the studio yet, but this is the second disaster in a row. Um, yeah, EA it's, it's is not, looking not shy about shutting s- studios down. Um, I, think the, I mean, but like, it's. It was good that he did that because it really, like, ultimately, it's not the dev's fault. It's like. You know, you don't make fun of people for making a bad game if they're mm-hmm. if they're really trying to make a good one, even if it's like a truly horrible game. Like we, I mean, gaming is more fun when there are games that are just like kind of crappy, like mm-hmm. Bad Rats Two or whatever. Like they're just like it's good when there are games that are bad <laughs> that we can play and they're ridiculous, right? If all right, here's the thing though: if everything in that article, uh, that Anthem article, had stayed the same, but they pulled it off and Anthem was a good game. Right. This article should still exist, yes. and we should still be extremely angry. Well, that's exactly right. And so, like, what I was going to say was the reason this is so hard to square with, like, you know, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the labor? Are we talking about the game? Are we talking about this? Are we talking about that? Like, the only – it, I hadn't really thought about it until we talked about it, but the only reason that any article like this gets written is because the game fails. And so mm-hmm. we have a reason to actually like look into, like, okay, why did this game suck so much? Yeah, like, I mean, how many, pe- how many crews are having people take uh, one to three months of stress? Like Red Dead Redemption. I, yeah. we, I even forgot to mention it because these are coming so often. I mean, Red Dead Redemption is a successful game that had a labor dust-up because – the people were being treated like they were being treated in the crunch during Anthem, where people and, were being driven to stress leave and crying in rooms and, you know. And, you know, you, you get the same problem where, like, every every rock star dev, I know, uh, I think I think one talked to Scott at one point. It might have been at the it might have been at the live show. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, no, it wasn't. I but it was like uh, one did talk to Scott. Scott told me about it. Mm-hmm. But um, he was saying, like. The dev was like, no, 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 please go play the game. And that, like, that impulse, right, where it's like they care about the project, but they're doing the stress leave. They are, like, Stockholm syndromed into it. I looked, a friend of mine, uh, my, my friend Andrew, who I'll, I'll bring up again later on, a friend of the podcast, I stream with him. Um, 
he was bringing up the the he was he looked up from softwares uh uh gaming or not gaming uh uh, uh, uh employment uh stats mm-hmm. and it's abysmal like it's mm-hmm. so bad uh and I love Sekiro. I love From. I, I love all those games. They seem they're wonderful. They're like some of my favorite games ever. But mm-hmm. like, boy, that sucks. <laughs> and and no one's writing about that because Sekiro is a success. Well, so, and also because, to be honest, the uh, English speaking American um, video game uh, scene has much less penetration into the Japanese market. It's going to be harder for the Jace, for Jason Schreier to get. 24x FromSoft employees on the record. If you're going to see that reporting, it's going to come out of a Japanese paper, probably a trade paper, um, and it may not get translated, or we may only get you know a you know a bite-sized bit. Um, right, right. So, th- so there's there's you know I, I, the the problem is that this is a huge industry-wide thing. It is standard practice. It needs to no longer be standard practice. And if that means we no longer have AAA games as we know them then maybe that's what needs to happen. Because honestly, that market is probably going to burst soon anyway, if it hasn't already. And it's just, it's just not okay. Like, I think the ultimate thing, and this is, this will be my, my end takeaway. Cause like, I never know what to say about these Schreier pieces because ultimately this is what I think. Like, there's just no reason for, for it. Like, there's no reason for that to be something that we are okay with as a, as a mm. game buying public. Like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want people to like have mental breakdowns to make a game I'm playing. Like it's not, it, it, they're, they're important things, but I, you know, I don't, I don't want anyone to have a mental breakdown about like a book I'm reading or whatever. Like it's, if you had, if you had, if you had to ask me like, do I want this piece of art or do I want uh, the person making it to like not go crazy? Um, I'm going to go with not go crazy every time. Yeah. I mean, I, I came from covering baseball I covered baseball for six or seven years professionally. Oh, so like you were used to a really good labor. Oh yeah, no. I, and the thing is, my point there is that I can understand when fans cape for their team. They've got an emotional investment in their team. They view the team as a representation of the city, and not just the city, but a community of people that they gather with, it's usually close tribal. friends, yeah. who and and they associate those people with good experiences community relations, where you live in a very isolated world these days, that is a area around which relationships can be formed. Very intense personal relationships of the people you watch the game at the bar with, the people you have season tickets next to, that sort of thing. I can understand why sports fans take the side of uh, the Baltimore Orioles or the Boston Red Sox over a player. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a much harder time seeing, well, understanding why they take the side of EA. <laughs> I mean, weird, even the right? even the even the experiences that you have playing EA games are localized away from EA. They're in the game itself. Like you know, right. you, you should never have to have say that like love for thing. yeah. You should have that love for Mass Effect or that love for you know Dragon Age. Not you know caping for Patrick Soderlund or whoever you know. <laughs> Uh, and it's the immortal Patrick Soderlund. Uh, I'm, I, I, he's, it's not, and it's not even Soderlund. I mean, he's he's just the guy who happened to be in this article. There's a lot of people like him. Yeah, it, sure. No, so. exactly. And I, I guess like yeah, it's just that's that's the thing. Like it's, it would be okay to to not have AAA games as we know them. It would be okay if they were more money. There's the, all sorts of things that would be okay. I think ultimately people just people cape for studios like EA because they want their investments, their time investments, their money investments to matter somehow in a way yeah. that like 
I don't know. It's, it's I just think kind they of a just think that if they don't, they won't get the games they like anymore. They, that could they be. think it's yeah. this or barbarism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh. Well, good on Schreier for for writing that. I'm sure everyone's read it by now, but if you haven't, go read it. It's good. It's very, very good writing. If we have show it. notes, so we'll include a link to it in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we did mention Sekiro quite a bit in the previous um, Are you playing segment. It? I've played a little bit of it. How do you uh, like? I'm really bad at it. Um, oh, that's part of it. The <laughs> there's there's two really there's two games that sort of define really hard gaming for me. And it's Sekiro, and uh, I think it was, was it a 2017 release, Neo? Oh, yeah, Neo was, yeah. was uh, 2017. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 2017, 2017 was such a stacked year for games. It didn't even oh, make my yeah. top ten. But unbelievable. So, S- Neo is this game where you're playing, it's, it's a Dark Souls structure where you're uh, doing a, a third-person character action, uh, going between shrines. Every time you rest at a shrine, it respawns all the enemies. But then they put the Bushido Blade stance system on top of it, (laughs) and and also the lethality of playing Bushido Blade. Bushido Blade was a a fighting game um, where basically it was a one-hit kill. You didn't even have health bars on the screen because you just, you know, if if you connected, drew blood, you would just stab someone to death with a sword or crush their head with a, a, a hammer. You could block, but if you got hit, you're dead. Neo isn't quite that punishing, but it's basically the case that if you let up your guard for a second and allow an enemy to do a combo on you, no matter where you are in the game, you know, yeah, no matter how bad. normal the enemy seems, how baseball the enemy seems, you're done. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's very, that's also very Souls-like, the idea yeah. of like, oh, I could just get killed by these mobs. And it also has like the Gears of War reloading system with your stamina. There's so much crazy stuff in Neo's systems that Sekiro is not actually the, as complicated as Neo. I don't no. think anything's as complicated as Neo. Sekiro's gameplay loop is really simple. It's just fucking hard. Yeah, it, it and I mean, that is, that is a classic FromSoft thing where like you, you end up playing this game that like, frustrates you because it's so difficult but the Mm -hmm. idea is that it's also extremely well orchestrated Mm -hmm. such that like you're like well this is really hard but it is kind of elegant so i guess i'll keep playing it and see where as a neo you could the the one out that you had in neo was that there was a diablo 3 loot system Mm -hmm. or a diablo in general loot system and a forging and a crafting system so if you were really not up to par with what the what the game demanded of you um Execution-wise or skill system-wise, uh, you could grind your way into good enough gear that it didn't matter so much. You would right. never be so overleveled that you wouldn't take damage. You'd always take damage. But you could get it to a point where the numbers were so in your favor that eventually you could brute force it. Sekiro doesn't have equipment in that way. Um, yeah, it gives you you can you can upgrade things. You can do certain things to make it a little better on you. Mm-hmm. But it's always you, you have to know. You have to know the game, yep. basically. I mean, and you know, and From loves to do this. The the teacher bosses. Here is the boss that's going to teach you how to perfectly parry. Here yeah. is the boss that's going to teach you how to do the step down parry. Here mm-hmm. is the boss that's going to teach you that you need to dodge instead of parry. Here is right. the boss that's going to teach you that you need to jump around a lot. And if you don't, if you if you if you try not to learn that lesson, you will just die 
over and over and over and over again. The question with Sekiro, and I haven't gotten deep enough into the game to see whether this or not, is whether I have. <laughs> it, whether or not you're, and so you'll, you maybe you can answer this for me, are you ever actually asked to transfer those lessons forward, or are you asked to basically unlearn them as soon as you've finished a boss with that gimmick? You you're have asked to, like, to trans, you definitely have to okay. transfer those lessons forward. I mean, there are, so like, uh, for instance, in the, the step-down counter, the Makiri counter is something that becomes, so like, you have to use that for the Shinobi killer mm-hmm. early on. Um, in the in the in the game, that's like that's where say, about like, where I've gotten to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. <laughs> I have that's not yet learned the step down counter. Oh yeah, you should uh, you should go practice that with the uh, with the pincushion guy at the shrine. Yeah, uh, that's what I did, and it helped amazingly. Yeah, a training. Not, he's a training dummy. You actually have to use. Yeah, he uh, and and actually like he. Um, it was great because like that whole thing is not intuitive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it was actually super helpful to have to use him. Uh, there, but anyway, uh, that's not what we're talking about. Um, no, I mean you do. Like eventually, if you aren't, if you don't know the Makiri counter by that point, you're gonna have a really hard time playing the game. And while there are certain strats, like there are certain prosthetics that people use that I don't, uh, because I don't really know how to use them. They don't work for me very well. That's your um, uh, the Sekiro character has a as a as a. <laughs> Has a cyborg arm in like 1800s Japan. It's it's operated with like wool string. Um, yeah. Anyway, he gets Very like a flamethrower, <laughs> a gun, all sorts of stuff. It's later it's on. Yeah, you get you get a finger that you can whistle out of. It's pretty cool. Amazing. Um, but yeah, like it's they're they're very handy but those are the ones where it's like well if you don't use the prosthetics like you're you're kind of handicapping yourself a little bit but you you know as long as you learned the lessons in the first bosses mm-hmm. you're okay i mean i feel um, like there there are there are situations like with the red ogres where not having the fire prosthetic uh means you're not going to have a good time no well, that's true too yeah i mean that's that's a very good point yeah. um in any case yeah so those early prosthetics the the axe the fire and the shurikens are somewhat necessary to have a decent time in the game. (laughs) But yeah, no, you're right. Like a lot of it is lessons and then some of it is, is, you know, choice. And I think like that, that is definitely, you know, I don't know, like Neo, Neo was much more about choice. Uh, Even the Dark Souls games were a lot about choice. Sekiro really, and I think, I think it does well to do this. I think it it is actually pretty smart. Well, let's talk about why it's in the news, which is. Oh yeah. No, oh, just to finish the thought, like it, it, doesn't let you make choices basically like it, mm-hmm. it asks you to do this one particular thing again and again and like live by the linearity of the game and i don't know it tells a good story it's fun like i i enjoy it but why is it in the news that's a very good question well there's been a long and this is this is just the latest expression of this discussion it's been going on for a while now um it, it sort of started with dark souls but it didn't really start with dark souls the question about Difficulty, intentional difficulty in a game versus accessibility. Right. Um, and whether or not a game having intentional difficulty, and here intentional difficulty is basically described by the developers, coming out and saying, fuck you, uh, this game is going to be made for, you know, this is, this is an aggressive game that's coming after you. You are meant to engage with this as a challenge. You will only beat it if you play at a high level and engage with the systems of this game. And get really good at physical dexterity in executing those systems. Um, right, yeah. This is a this is a genre with a fairly long lineage. The Devil May Cry games were like this, especially the early ones. Uh, DMC three, uh, in particular, um, had I, I believe it had easy modes for American audiences. Uh, that's a favorite thing with the Japanese do. Port over here with an with an easy mode for 
for just the to Westerners. own us a little bit. Yeah, um, but the Ninja Gaiden games were like that too. I believe it was the the team behind the Ninja Gaiden games that made Neo. Yeah, um, Team Ninja. Yeah. Um, from of course has been a huge part of this ever since Demon Souls, really. Um, yeah, although their earlier games were no were no joke. I yeah. mean, uh, Armored Core Five. Um, I mean, the whole Armored Core series actually. Uh, Chrome Hounds is a is a favorite of of uh, some of my friends who I stream with. It's like it's they they have like a long lineage of difficult games that people are very very into. Yeah. So it so the discussion becomes. Um, is this is the the lack of an ability to turn down the difficulty or to get in a system mode as as the DMC games have introduced uh, an accessibility issue? Is it a sign of not making a game that's for everybody? Which is to say, we should be clear: accessibility, not just in terms of like, oh, I don't like mm-hmm. this or I do like this, but accessibility as the discourse goes in terms of like, is it is it ableist? Is it basically mm-hmm. saying like you have to be abled in this particular way to play this game, and if not, we don't want you. Yeah. Um, and there are places where Sekiro comes up short in this, but I don't think it's with the difficulty. Sekiro doesn't have a colorblind mode. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it didn't last time I saw. Maybe they've patched one in. It does not, no. It does not. Um, you know, and, and honestly, that should be industry standard at this point. It should. Subtitles are in there, which is great, but uh, that's that has become industry standard. Yeah, colorblind mode does not seem that difficult to implement. Uh, I'm not a, a programmer or developer, but it does not seem like an You're overly onerous. Okay, well, we're going to have to find a different co-host <laughs> for the show. Yeah, and I think, like, the other thing, so this is something that I pulled from um, a couple of friends of mine. Uh, I, I will I will happily credit them. So uh, my friend Andrew, who I stream with, um, I, I stream Sekiro with, and also uh, our friend and my friend um, uh, Talia, who is on Twitter uh, at keep underscore indoors, uh, but also goes by Xenolalia. Um, they were saying like, it, and I, I think they're totally right. Like the, the problem with this discourse is basically that it, it assumes that difficulty is some sort of standard for um, ableism or, or for disability, right? Like, like the idea that like, we have to make these games easier so everyone can play them. And also that, like, anytime this comes up, it usually is because of a From Software game. Like, all this stuff is very strange. And it is it, 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 it hurts the discourse because, like... Well, I mean, it hurts the discourse on one hand because there is a lack of um, understanding of what accessibility is. As you pointed out, colorblindness mode makes a lot more sense than easy mode in a lot of ways um, and is easier to put in. And it... Just like it, it, it's demeaning, right? Like the idea is. Well, I mean, there's an unspoken assumption. If right. you're, if if you say that it's ableist not to have an easy mode, that disabled people require easy modes. Yeah, and I mean, there are you know the the, the actual dexterity and difficulty and stuff like that. That I get it. Like I, mm-hmm. I totally get it, and I get, also get. I also get if your preference is to have easier games. I think that's fine. Oh, I and, think it's. I, see, here's the thing. I don't think the accessibility argument quite stands up, but I do think there should be an easy mode. And I'll, right. I'll tell, yeah, I'll tell you why that is. Games, like I said before about the whole culture thing, games have become shared cultural experiences. They've become how people, uh, out gamers, and also you know people in the wider world who aren't as poisonously online as us, uh, spend huh? their <laughs> time and how they relate to their friends. And if a person can't progress into the game 
and experience that game along with their friends, even on a lower difficulty, that's going to hurt them in their, you know, friend community. If everyone's playing Sekiro and you're shit at Sekiro and you can't, you know, you can't play along and follow, that, that, that doesn't feel great. Um, right, exactly. No, that's very fair. And I think, like, you know, streaming takes takes the sting out of some of this. There's There, there are ways that it changes. But, like... I agree. But and yeah, I think, but I don't think it, and, it, and it's really important I think that it's it's this isn't about like getting steam achievements or something. Like right. it, it, no one's having in this argument just because they want to be able to like display a medal to show their friend like it, there are people out there who use like cheat engine to get steam achievements and they are the weirdest people in the god in the goddamn world cuz who cares? It's an extremely yeah. broken kind it, of I mean, yeah, it, pursuit right there. And it's not yeah. something you can, you know, build an ideology around or even a behavioral theory around or anything like nothing, around. Not, there's nothing. Who cares about achievements? Yeah, and so it, it's not about, you know, checking off some boxes somewhere. It's about the general group experience with your friends on social media, in real life, of being able to do this game. And that, I think, is a much better argument for easy modes than um, the accessibility angle. Yeah, and I think, like, actually, the, the thing to say is, uh, and, and maybe another way to say uh, Andrew and Talia's argument that I, because I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, mm -hmm. it was in conversation, so I don't have a tweet or a an article I can send, but the, um, or I can put in the show notes, but the, um, like, I think the point is that tying difficulty to ability uh, weakens and, and impoverishes both of those arguments then, because, like, you know, the, the difficulty discourse can be really interesting and can be really compelling. Like, I can see... I think I, I honestly, in a lot of ways, understand the 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 version of like, well, I don't want a hard mode. Insofar as like, okay, I you know the 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 Dark Souls games are fun for me because they have that kind of pedagogical attitude where they teach you things and you have to progress and you have to learn by hitting your head against the wall and that's cool to me. Like that's fun. Um, so I get like why that might be lost and so why it might seem like a totally different and less fun game with an easy mode. Mm. On the other hand, um, I don't care all that much about an easy mode, and I do care a lot about you know making games accessible for people. Mm. So like they are different things. It basically becomes like I don't want to I don't want to tie. Put it this way: it's basically like the question of um, what's a, what's a good what's a good political example. Well, it it doesn't. We don't need one. It's basically <laughs> the problem of tying. Um, causes and things you care about to some other issue that that you don't really care about or isn't exactly what you want. So, like the idea that um, uh, you know people people arguing or who want reparations uh, suddenly would have to care about Medicare for all. Like it's not really fair. <laughs> you know, if you want reparations, uh, Medicare for all may not actually matter to you. Um, Vice versa as well, I suppose. But, like, the idea of saying, like, no, this is as approximate as we can get to your uh, concern, and you're just going to have to like it or lump it, um, that's bad, and we should not be encouraging that in any yeah. level. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a good place to leave it. Okay. Um, so, on a lighter note, Borderlands 3 is coming out eventually. Cool. What, what sort of science experiments will it have in it? I don't know. I... You saw that trailer, right? I did. Uh, did you notice there was no voice acting in it? Yeah, a number of people pointed that out. It's weird because Borderlands has really thrived on the voice acting. Even if people, even if like a lot of people are skeptical of it, like the the funny robot and mm -hmm. you know, etc. Like the racist kind of child. 
<laughs> Probably yes, one, one, one of the okay. largest missteps they've made. Um, Although, thanks to Randy Pitchford, not the uh, not the largest misstep. Oh, right. I said on a lighter note, but we've got to talk about Randy Pitchford. Yeah. Um, Bad news. Uh, why? Vi- video he, games are never never have a lighter note. That's what. We're yeah, going to he. I, I am. The giant bomb guys talked about this, uh, and I share their bafflement that he is still front and center for this company. It is unbelievable on the main stage. Now, I mean, can you imagine just like I, I mean, like as a working stiff, um, can you imagine just showing up to work and having like porn on your work computer and being allowed to like come into work the next day? Like, the idea of, like, oh, I just downloaded all this porno onto my computer. I hope that's cool, boss. And they're like, well, well try I mean, not to do it again, but he's, you, you're, you're fine. You're not The fired. problem is that he's the boss in that situation, and I can definitely believe that people okay, yeah, in his boss, situation okay, Just pornography, porn great, yeah. Uh, uh, now, now imagine that it's a company, it's just, like, a normal company, and uh, they have to roll out a project, and everyone in the world knows that they were watching porn, and it was underage child porn. That... <laughs> That needs you to don't work have itself to imagine it, out. It's real. <laughs> it needs to work itself out. Although I think his, the the lawyer for the other guy in this incredibly personal um, extortion slash fraud uh, lawsuit, because this came out in a in a in a civil suit um, mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. a guy looking for damages. The lawyer puts underage pornography in quotation marks. Okay. You don't uh, the the. You know, if you read the statement, he's not actually saying it's underage pornography. He's saying it's pornography where the presenter presents themselves as "quote unquote" underage. Oh man! The which is a very I, I mean, I, I hats off to that lawyer because he just destroyed Randy Pritchford's. And I mean, it is entirely possible that he had child pornography on that drive. That should be investigated by the police. And I hope it but is. But the way the complaint is phrased. And Pritchford's description of it on the on that stupid magic podcast he was on. What is his magic? Thing? Oh, I don't even. Fu- he, what he, is it? Like, I why does know. he like? It's... Why does he like sleight of hand magic? Anyway, it was it was like a cam girl doing like teen fetish shit, apparently. And uh, yeah. yeah, and she was uh, apparently the the reason he had it on there for any of you who haven't who haven't heard the story is uh, because she was uh, she was doing female ejaculation, otherwise known as squirting, and uh, and he. Um, he thought it was scientifically interesting. That has to be. I, I, here's the thing: he is a weird enough dude that sure. I have to actually give that. I have to pause and think. Maybe there's maybe just, he, he maybe he's really that stupid. Maybe uh, he thinks strange. this is scientifically interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Either way. There's been an allegation of uh, of possible <laughs> underage pornography. You should not be uh, and this is not a game that's, you know, published by them. They have a publisher involved in this. You know, this is not the person you need to be on stage introducing your game until his legal matters are sewn up, like that all the exactly money right. that's missing. Um <sighs> and so, so and he went Pritchard out there problems. and as as the trailer was was failing to play, he was out there doing magic tricks. Um, and beyond, <laughs> beyond, some, yeah, that's some on. like, that's some like, uh, uh, Jimmy's bat mitzvah or Jimmy's bar mitzvah is going wrong. Uh, <laughs> so his uncle steps in sort of shit. Yeah. That is like, that is bad. It's like, <laughs> it's like if, if Job from Arrested Development was possibly a sex criminal, right. even more annoying. Um, <laughs> but no, it, but the game, luckily the game looks like shit on its own merits too. Um, okay, great. It had... <laughs> 
this. It does. The, not the, look the good. point in the trailer where I knew that we were probably we're probably going to be in for a bad time with this game was the sax solo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the notes. Breaking the flow of the trailer so that one of your characters can dance can wiggle back and forth with a so with a saxophone while the words sax solo break or whatever are on screen sounds like what an unfunny person would take away from a funny person making a joke that didn't land right so exactly. it, that's a very good way of putting it it's ridiculous it's it, and it was just like I, I was I was concerned up to that point because we because they were very notably not showing um, any story stuff. They weren't. It was it was not a narrative trailer the way that border uh, that you you really associate Borderlands with that strong narrative, even if it is annoying and kind of smug. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, like that's the thing with Borderlands, though, right? Where like it went away from the narrative because all of a sudden it was like, oh, like. We like this cool, like, uh, we sort of like the energy of Borderlands as opposed mm -hmm. to the story. That's why people didn't like the pre-sequel and stuff. Uh, I routinely forget that the pre-sequel existed. Um, See, I never was a big Borderlands guy, so I only understand it through other people's recollections. No, I mean, I was huge into one and they two. They can't forget. Um, I gave up on the pre-sequel around hour two into the game. Um, yes. Good for you. <laughs> and we... We don't know much about Borderlands yet, except that it's going to be another one of those, and the humor is going to be the humor that was on display in the trailer. So, it is entirely possible they could be, and and I think it's is it going to be called like Border Worlds now or something? Oh, is that like right? there's going to be multiple so worlds. Oh, um, great. <laughs> and it, it's unclear whether you'll be playing pre-generated characters or, like, because the previous games you played a character with a backstory, so they could turn those characters into NPCs in the next game. And it's unclear whether you'll be creating a character or playing as um, as one of, you know, Axel or, you know, Zero or, or, all, or you know, the, the new guys for this, for this time. Um, it's going to have a, I don't think, we don't have a firm release date or anything on it yet. But um, let me see here. I mean, it's like it's 2019, right? It's, that's the, yeah, that's the date that they're giving. Which is bold. I will, I'll give them that. <laughs> oh, here's why I was confused. September 13th, 2019. But I was thinking of 2020. The reason it's 2020 is because that is how long it is exclusive on the Epic Store. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so let's get to that, too. Uh... This is all right. I have the Epic Store installed. I'll I'll fess up to that. I have to have it installed to work on my, on the Division Two work I'm doing. Why, this why site. do you have to fess up to that? It's just it's just it's just the Division. I mean, this is the thing well, with the Epic Store. It's I mean, yes, there's spyware in it, but do you really think that Valve is doing like good things with your no, data? No, I mean, mainly it's it. I am mildly annoyed that I have to manage two store, three storefronts now because I have work in there as well. That's perfectly but fair. Epic also bribes me with a free game every two weeks, so that minimizes some of the uh, the annoyance. However, I even if they weren't bribed me, I can't see my reaction rising to the level of review bombing Borderlands Three on Steam as soon as its sales page goes up. And by the way, why is, is Steam accepting reviews on a game that isn't launching on that platform until April 2020? Steam knows. Steam knows where it's bread's buttered. Yeah. It's buttered by all the cranks. Um, this is something that's not really going to go away, and I don't know why it's become a Sega versus Nintendo thing. Um, I understand why Epic and Steam don't like each other, 
Sure. I why don't understand why Steam has like stands. Fans? Like, what yeah. is what? Why? Why are you choosing a side here? You can just install the Epic Games Launcher. Why do you? Like, you know. Why there's this uh, this, there's I- this great there's mm-hmm. this great image macro that someone made not unironically that my friends and I have been sharing uh, purely ironically because it's very funny um, where they're complaining they sort of like tally up the points of uh, of Steam versus the Epic Store and the one is like you know the one is like is it you know who wins who has the most points and one of the points against uh, one of the points is Chicom uh, uh, funding. And it means Chinese communism. Mm. And Steam Steam gets uh, Steam gets green marks for not having any Chicom funding, but uh, not the Epic Store. Chicom that is a term that went out of vogue in like the eighties. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's clear who made this macro. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say um, that. Yeah, I I, I don't I, all I understand about the Epic and Steam Store issue is that it's going to get worse. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially as other sites basically. I mean, it, basically, it seems like devs have figured out that they can be supply side. Yep. As well as uh, product side, and so like you know, why why not? Um, I mean, I know why not. I can think of many reasons why not. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, I'm I'm not making any money off the games I'm buying, and they are. Like I can I can only assume it's like a massive amount of money if you can actually make yourself a store. Yep. And it's the wild wild west out there. I mean, you'll get. I think the outer the outer limits, the outer world, the, the new Fallout inspired yes, thing. Yes, the, the Obsidian game. Some Obsidian. Yeah. Uh, that announced that that like came and went as exclusives in like two or three different places, didn't it? Until they finally settled because it's, it's there. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because Obsidian, which is now owned by Microsoft, I think isn't this game one of their previously contracted games? So it's still um, yeah a two K. That's right. I forget. I yeah, yeah. That sounds right. I mean, I know it's it's they're developing it. I mean, yeah, it's all in house. Outer but... Worlds. It's being published yeah. by Private Division. It appears. Okay. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is not going to be a. It's not. It's not one of the Microsoft exclusives that they're apparently going to be doing from now on. But I, I believe it eventually. It you know originally came to. Um, Steam, and then was announced um, as exclusive to like the Xbox Store. Or yeah, let me let me make sure I, I'm actually correct on this. Okay. Uh, the Outer Worlds win exclusive. Um, I think about a month after it was announced. So you have people who were ex- expecting to be able to get it on Steam, and then a month later they're told uh, this game's actually going to be an Epic exclusive. Mm-hmm. Most normal people aren't bothered by this. But yeah, you just say like, I guess I have to buy it at another. Store. I mean, and there are there are situations where this is bad. There, were, I believe, there were a couple Kickstarter games which went Epic exclusive, but the Kickstarter reward was a reward was a Steam key. Ah, uh, yes, so that's not good. What happened was it's, it's a timed exclusive, so after a year it goes to the Steam store. Um, so and you get your what the backers <laughs> got as a compromise was they get their Steam key and they get a free Epic key. So they get two copies of the game. They get it on both platforms, mm. and that seems like All the right. correct way to do this. Uh, yeah, if you're sure. if you're going to do if you're going to backdoor exclusive your game after announcement. Um, well, yeah. If one of, if you are if if a backer perk is a free game, mm-hmm. and then you actually can't deliver the free game, that's not great. Yeah. Um, so the, those those situations are going to be handled on a case by case basis, and there will be a lot of chaos and complaining for as long as um, 
Epic's money holds out, I guess. And that's basically what it is, right? As long until until Epic either succeeds in establishing a you know a front here uh, in the battle, or until they have to scale scale it back down to being basically the Fortnite launcher. Um, Clever that you call it a front. I, I meant like a battle cons. front, not a storefront. <laughs> or yeah, I'm, I'm or, just kidding. Um, but yeah, no. There's there's the Ubisoft launcher. There's the Bethesda has its own launcher, which I believe and they it's, all work because they because they've offered you free games as a salve for in, yeah. installing a new thing on your computer. Bethesda, like, I believe, is declaring defeat and quietly announced that they're moving um, the Fallout games over to Steam as well. Yeah, I mean, I get it. The Bethesda launcher is terrible. I believe the the way the t- tweet was phrased was, uh, we are pleased to announce or proud to announce that this game, this game, this game, this game is coming to Steam. Also, Fallout 6 is going to Steam. Fallout 6? Uh, uh, sorry, Fallout 76. Oh, I yeah, was like, yeah. we, we jumped ahead. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, at this point, <laughs> let's, just, let's just get to the next one. Um, yeah, no, I... It, Honestly, like the the thing about the Epic versus Steam Store thing, it it feels a lot like I don't want to. It feels a lot like people realizing what they're missing about physical media, mm-hmm. which is that you get to hoard things and have like a little a little smog cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I get it. Like that's I, I don't I'm not gonna make fun of anyone for you know wanting their smog cave. That's okay. Um, it's just that we live in a world where you, you basically download stuff. Like you don't own physical things anymore and that's just what we've all agreed to and we've all conceded to it. It's not anyone's fault, but, but that's the way it is. And I don't know, like saying, well, what about my steam library or being upset about steam seems to be just saying like, well, what about my steam library? What will happen to, to that? And I was like, well, it won't be as useful anymore. Will it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Google could just come along and even further iterate and make our computers useless, too. Yeah, sure. Um, Why with not? This, with their gaming service. I mean, uh, you know, I think... I think Stadia. I'm, I'm on rec- I was trying to remember its name. It's Stadia. Which... I'm on record as saying that Stadia is uh, is basically not going to... Not, it's never going to... It's never going to work as a... Um, as a computer replacement because of latency and because mm-hmm. people who are even playing Fortnite care that uh, even like the, you know, the half millisecond latency that they say or whatever. Well, I mean, late. the big problem with Stadia is that uh, you can have all the great processing power you want. Uh, the infrastructure in this country is falling apart. Uh, we do not have the infrastructure, the, the, you know, the, the internet infrastructure to accommodate that, even if mm-hmm. it were physically possible. Right. Um, we just, you know, we need to lay a lot more lines. We'd need to lay um, a lot better lines. You know, Google keeps piecemealing it across the country, but they always pull out when they don't get exactly what they want and all the control they want. And um, the only way Stadia is going to work really is in places where Google Fiber is running, um, if then. Um, but, you know, it's certainly not going to work. Uh, in a country with infrastructure as badly handled as ours. Correct, correct. But, I mean, you know, all that means is you still get to keep your physical computer a little while longer. Yeah. The Steam store is basically a moment where people love the convenience of buying digital games, as do I. Um, but as, I mean, uh, our mutual friend Mark Normandon has said this, like, yeah. 
he he buys physical copies of games as much as he can because who knows when the various capricious industries that we trust to uh, keep our media alive will just say, well, we're not doing that anymore. Well, then you run into the archivist problem, right? which is yes. that you can have all this, all this great digital media you want, but you need something to read it. That's true. That's exactly uh, right. And we've lost so much of early digital media to file formatting compatibilities or readers just not existing for it anymore. Um, well, and I mean, that, that is absolutely a problem of like of TV, of, of radio. I mean, this is like not of radio, but like of, of any sort of like uh, basically any sort of um, uh, media, which like you go to the history of television or, or the, I'm sorry, the Museum of Television History. Um they have all the things like they'll have a laser disc player and they'll have a, uh, a, um, you know, a, a Betamax and stuff like that yep. because you need that to see certain things, but that's at a museum. It's not in your house. Yeah. And, and once it gets to like, the problem is a file format, not a yeah. physical, you know, media player. That's very difficult. Then you're in codex territory, and you may need to pay extra money, or you may just not be able to use it anymore, because the codex may not exist. There are codexes that no longer exist, uh, you, that you just can't find or have to go to ridiculous lengths to find um, to play old files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a strange... I don't know. Well, it's rents. It's a strange moment. It's rents. They're yeah, doing it to right. charge more rents. I mean, well, <laughs> it I mean, all comes is, back to rents. I mean, that's exactly what this is. This is right. It's like the whole point here is how can we how can we get people to pay all the time? How do we not just how do we become not just a uh, a game but also a service? Mm-hmm. Because a service uh, you got to pay money to every month. Um, a game you only have to buy once. And so how do we make this game your life forever? And there are ways to do that that are, like, game-centric. I think, uh, you know, I hate to praise a, uh, a AAA studio after this episode, but I think uh, Rainbow Six Siege does a good job of this, mm-hmm. um, uh, of, like, of like making a game totally, you know, it's meant to be the game that you'll play for the rest of your life, but they actually make it about the game as opposed to the service. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, uh... not, I mean, it's a lot easier just to make a, make a store that you have to subscribe to to get plus membership and then give away your old games that you, no one is buying anyway, uh, sort of loss leaders, and then make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, these companies are going to come as close to exploiting people with gambling addictions as they can, and then oh, yeah. dot, and then pull back as soon as the regulatory industries that govern gambling come asking for their cut and their oversight. Um, <laughs> and yes, that's, that's going to be the central tension of probably the next, uh, until the crash, because there's a crash coming. There's always a crash coming in this model of, um, well, that's capitalism, baby. Yeah, and and we're we've been in a bubble for a while. I've seen some people theorize that the crash has already happened, but that we haven't that the aftershocks haven't hit us yet. That the you know that the effects haven't spiraled out from the companies uh, to the marketplace quite yet, hmm. and that all of these layoffs that we're seeing are the first signs. That trouble's coming, but everyone's always seen the first signs of trouble coming because everybody's always getting laid off. Um, yeah, I mean, as Hegel says, you uh, we live in the middle of catastrophe and yeah. can't ever know it. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as, as Darren Ruvel once said, uh, I hate that this is happening to our country, but it makes for great content. And on you quoting Hegel and Darren Ravel back to back, that seems like a good place to call it. So that's the end of the news. Uh, should we do our last segment? Yeah, let's do All right. that. Uh, John, what are you playing these days? I the have... Game? Do you like video games? I like video games. Um, okay. The game I am currently playing most of right now is a action RPG called Grim Dawn. Uh, it's from... Yeah, I've seen, I've seen this in the Steam store, mm-hmm. speaking, speak of the devil. It's from Crate Entertainment. Uh, Crate Entertainment is a studio that was started by some of the people who left the developers of the Titan Quest ARPG which was based heavily on Diablo 2. And Crate licensed the Titan Quest engine back from their old company to make this new game. Um, And I say new, but it's been out for over a year. It's got three DLC packs. It was in early access uh, for an indescribable amount of time, I think like a year and a half maybe. Um, Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been out there for... I've got 477 hours in it, and I have to, and I'm pretty sure... The first 200 hours of those were in early access. Um, the Forgotten Gods expansion just came out. It's uh, it's a fairly normal ARPG expansion. It, if you don't, an ARPG is like a Diablo-like. It's a third-person isometric camera, usually. Uh, you have a mouse pointer. You click around the screen. You slaughter a bunch of enemies. You have skills that you use that are usually on cooldowns. You gather loot. Um, the loot is randomized. You then combine, sell, trade, transfer that loot into better versions of the loot, and your entire uh, progression is spent chasing better and better loot. Uh, Path of Exile is another yeah. one of the games like this. Obviously, Diablo a 3 uh, is a game like this. Um, Grim Dawn is special in that it is not always online. It is a single-player or multiplayer experience, but the multiplayer is the traditional you, you know, connect directly to somebody through, um, through their internal service or through Steam, and you're instanced in a local uh, version of the world. Uh, there's no always online feature. Uh, it is not procedurally generated. There's always just a single map, so everything's bespoke. Um, it's huge. Uh, it, it's very much like Titan Quest, if you played Titan Quest, mm. with its I foibles. Not, I, I know so you. the main way it differs from all the other games of its kind is is uh, just on the specifics of the leveling. So what happens is you get into the game, you gain your first level, you choose a class. Uh, you get the ability to put three skill points level into either bettering that class's level or into bettering skills in that class. Obviously, you unlock more skills as you increase the class level, but if you increase the class level, you're losing the points you could be putting into the skills. Um, This goes on to level 10. When you hit level 10, you choose a second class from the same class list. This gives you your final class. So you have access to two class trees and as many different combinations as I think there's 10 classes at this point, um, as many different combinations as those, each with their own unique name. Um, and it also has Titan Quest's problems where the expansion classes are a bit, uh, OP. Okay. Uh, since it's not a player versus player game, there, there is like an arena where you can go and fight that sort of thing, but it's, it's, you know, we added in a, a PVP arena. It's one screen. You, you sign up, you go in, you fight each other. Someone dies, you come back. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not the main content of the game. The main content sure. of the game is player versus enemy, so it's fine, quote-unquote, that the expansion uh, classes, including 
uh, a class that is basically the Diablo 2 Necromancer, the game plays itself class uh, yeah. all over again. It's fine that that exists. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, if you like, it, it's sort of Warhammer, but more serious in its tone, okay. which is not for everybody. And honestly, I didn't think it would be for me. Um, Grim Dawn is a, you know, an excellent description of a game that you would probably just call Grim Dark. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's comic, it's sort of over the top nonsense, uh, you know, um, beasties from a different dimension invade, kill everyone. It's sort of a fantasy post-apocalypse. You are the chosen one who has to go and, and kill all the beasties. You know. Well, finally, someone someone notices that I am the chosen one. Yeah, and, and you know, the plot's not much more uh, intricate than that, but it's a very good me- game mechanically. It's uh, I, I don't play idle games. I'd guess that Grim Dawn is the closest I'd come to an idle game. Uh, but, what do you mean? Uh, you know, clickers. Um, oh, sure, 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 sure. Those sort of those things. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I keep Grim Dawn on on my second monitor when I'm doing stuff on my first monitor all the time. Just you know, moving around, clicking. Have a, yeah. I have a lot of fun with it. I hope I'd have a lot of fun with it. I have almost 500 hours in the game. Um, Boy, if you're not having fun, yeah. I'm worried about and you. And I haven't even gotten to the new expansion content yet, so they added a whole new area, so I'm looking forward to that. What have you really? been playing? Uh, so, uh, that sounds great, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been playing, so uh, I, I know a lot of you know that Risk of Rain 2 came out recently. I mean, so in, in all honesty, I've been playing uh, a lot of Sekiro. Um, but also, when I'm not playing Sekiro, uh, which, you know, we shouldn't have to talk about Sekiro because, of course, we just talked about it. Um, but when I am not playing Sekiro, I am playing, um, I'm honestly playing this game, uh, Risk of Rain, which I know that a lot of people have played uh, Risk of Rain before. It's not exactly a new game, but it is, um, its sequel that just came out is new. And so Risk of Rain is, uh, Risk of Rain 2 is a, uh, is a 3D uh, roguelike. It's very impressive. Uh, it's very cool looking. I have not played it yet because in my mind I was like, well, I should know what the, the first game was like before I play the second game. Uh, because I am just a nightmare person, mm-hmm. um, but the the game is really fun. Like, and again, I'm not telling anyone probably online who doesn't know this. Well, I, like, I've never actually played Risk of Rain. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's really fun. It's uh, I, I just assumed everyone had. I thought it was one of those things that I missed that everyone else had gotten to. But it's a um, it's a weird little shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a roguelike. Um, so, like, basically, you're this little. It, I, I think mm, I've seen it, so I know the art style. You're these little pixel voxel thing. Yeah, exactly. And the the really neat thing about the game is the scale. Like mm-hmm. the the size of the world around you is so much bigger than you are, um, such that like it is a massive sort of like enemy, uh, you know, uh, horde kind of game mm-hmm. coming on you. But it is a game that like it doesn't really reward the same thing uh, same things other games do. Like the the. Uh, developers went into it apparently with the mission of making a game that uh, it can never be the game's fault that you die because they found that that was really frustrating if like the game screwed up or the game was badly made or whatever so that's why you died they decided to make a game where like the only person who's at fault here is you um, and in some in some ways they're right uh, obviously there's a difficulty curve and the game is hard so like I've died many times where it's like it's not my fault it's just that I you know the game is hard and I didn't play it quite the right way um whether you know what that means to you, if that's you or the game, that's that's kind of up to you. But the uh, the premise of it is basically like it's a shooter, but it's very very strategic. Like you have cooldowns on your special attacks. You have one gun that shoots uh, consistently. There are multiple characters that you can unlock by doing things in the game, um, 
and it is not there's no plot really it's just trying to beat like six stages and and just seeing uh what items you can buy how you can unlock things how you can sort of make it work and produce enough offense that uh that the the various characters who can all kill you pretty pretty quickly and are surrounding you constantly do not. Um, so it does like the FTL thing where you start with a you start with one person unlock yeah. and then you move through. There's a lot of uh, people have styles. definitely compared it to FTL. It it in terms of like actual gameplay, I don't think it's much like FTL, but it is like it is uh, similar in that way and also I think similar in the difficulty curve where people say like you know for the first and they're right like for the first few hours of the game you're just playing and dying. Um, until you kind of figure out what the game is asking you to do, uh, but it's great. I think it's I think it's really good, and you can usually get it for like I don't know ten dollars or something. I like mean, that. It's it's, yeah, if, if two just came out, I'm assuming one is on sale for Synergy. Yep, it is, and actually, you could buy both at a discount. But I have heard that two is excellent. Um, oddly enough, put out by Gearbox, <laughs> so we got the, we got that. But uh, but yeah, it's um, the the company that put it out is like a smaller company. They uh, they clearly put a lot of time and love into the game. The music is great. Um, it's just a it's just a really enjoyable experience. It's um, it's good for like quick bursts of of, uh, of gameplay. Like if you only have a couple minutes, uh, it's also good uh, if you just want to play for a really long time. It can definitely uh, bring you in and become quite addicting. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Um, it's it's fun if you're if you're having a hard time finding something that is not like an intense, constantly uh, on your mind game like uh, Sekiro or Red Dead or any of the various AAA games that have become so popular, it is uh, it's very good for that. All right. Well, I think we did it. I think this is a really good, um, really good inaugural episode, John. Um, anything that you want to plug or say before we go? No, I don't. I don't have anything to plug at the moment. I do want to say that if we have made any factual inaccuracies, we do regret them, uh, and we will correct them uh, if you know if it. If, if someone if points them out, if, if if it comes to that, if it's if it's something that if it's like if I mispronounced uh, Jason Schreier's name as Shire a couple of times, I'm not going to correct that. But you know, if we got something factually incorrect, um, you know, let us know. We didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah ostensibly we we made a mistake there. Um, we're not trying to like make fun of anyone, I guess. Uh, actually, that's actually a good point. We're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings either. So uh, you know, if we said something that. You feel is somehow unfair. Um, I don't know. We may not I'm listen fine to you. I'm hurting that EA executive's feelings. Yeah, if you're an EA executive and you call, you know, we're there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, all that concerned. But, uh, yeah. I mean, come on the show. We'd definitely <laughs> like to abuse you on, on no, the I mean, uh, just, just kidding. We wouldn't abuse you. But no, I mean the the you know if you feel like we've we've demeaned anyone or whatever too, that's always good to to bring up. But. We hope we have done neither, um, and uh, and yeah, I, uh, I I think this is really fun. I'm I'm looking forward to next week. Yeah. Oh, and if you find news items that you'd like us to talk about, you can at me at Hagelman, at John at J O N B E R N D H A R D. I'm sorry, B E R N H A R D T. Um, and also, if you have any uh, if you have any writing gigs, uh, John is an amazing writer, and he is available for <laughs> for purchase. Oh, oh all right. hire. Available for hire. Uh, oh, is that what they, is that what it's called? <laughs> oh, okay. Hire. Um, that's weird. Uh, did you uh, plug the Patreon? <laughs> plug the Patreon. Okay. Uh, Patreon's at patreon.com slash no cartridge. Um, you can find all sorts of stuff there, including I'm sure we'll end up doing some bonus stuff for this as we uh, add bonus content that doesn't quite fit within the show. And, um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll, we'll come back to you next week. Hopefully, as we figure this out, it will not always be an hour and a half show, but... With the both of us, you can't ever uh, know for sure. Uh, we talk too much. Have a good week, guys. Bye.
See ya.